Welcome to the Collide Podcast. We're a growing community of everyday chicks colliding with Jesus in our mess, our pain, our joy, and our stories. We value showing up as we truly are, so that's what you'll find here. Walls and masks being torn down so that we can allow Jesus to meet us where we truly are and hear about other women doing the same. We can't wait to collide with you. When I think about releasing perfect, it's practicing again and again. It's not just release perfect and be done once and for all. It's this continual process of asking myself, what am I expecting here? And what what do I actually need? And what do I actually have to give to the people around me? Because 99.9% of the time, what I expect of myself is not what God expects of me. Hey there, so glad that you hopped on the Collide podcast. It's one of my favorite hours of my week, and today I'm super excited to sit down with Jillian DeBritz. Jillian is a wife, a mom, a writer, a personal development coach, and she is also, what she says, a recovering perfectionist, so we're going to talk to her about what that means today. She longs to offer hope and build courage. She believes in the power of sharing our stories and bravely inviting others into our process. And full disclosure, she says that she talks too much when she gets excited. So if she's talking a lot, it's because she's super excited to be with us today. She fights against body shame and mom guilt. She sweats more than anyone she's ever met. And she's slightly addicted to edible cookie dough and watching Ted Lasso with her husband, Corey. Some of her favorite things to do are read new books, sing off-key Broadway hits, eat chocolate in any form, run outside, drink caramel Americanos with cream, and have have dance parties in her kitchen and of course snuggle with her favorite people. I have a feeling that she's about to be your and I's one of our new favorite people. So Jillian, thank you for hanging out with us on the podcast. Oh, I'm so honored to be here. Willow, thanks for having me. It's so fun. I have to ask you, dance parties in the kitchen, I mean, they're the best. In fact, uh-huh. I discovered I think I'd been married like 12 years and didn't know that my husband had the ability to break dance. We were having a dance <laughs> party kitchen, and then all of a sudden he just gets down and he's like spinning on the floor oh and the kids were just like, what? Like, what? <laughs> so I have to ask you, what's your like go-to dance party oh, favorite? Man. Okay. So full disclosure, I just retired yesterday. Um, from three years of being a jazzercise instructor. And so I have like this repertoire of jazzercise songs that are pretty inappropriate for a nine and seven-year-old to dance to, but we love it. We'll take, you know, any Macklemore, I'd say. Macklemore can't hold us. It's probably our Mm go-to. Oh yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) Why do you retire from jazzercise? I just have to ask. I mean, whoever leaves jazzercise once they love it. Well, I'm not going to instruct. I'm just taking a step back so that I can spend more time writing and coaching. It takes a lot of time and energy to instruct and I love it. I love to be on stage. I pretend I'm on Broadway every time, but (laughs) um, I decided I'm just going to step back and be a customer and dance on the floor, not on stage for a bit. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I wish I could be a fly on the wall in your kitchen to see jazzercise while you're making chili or something. You know it. (laughs) You're a recovering perfectionist. I want to talk about that for a while today, but how might one know if they too are a perfectionist? Yeah. It's so interesting because perfectionism 
for so much of my life, I wore it like a badge of honor. It wasn't ever something I saw as a struggle um, until my adult life, really. I thought, oh, this is just like what you say if you're really high achieving and if you care about doing excellent work and if you take pride in how you <laughs> present yourself in the world. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize um, – you know, it probably wasn't until about the time I started writing, if I'm honest, that I realized that perfectionism was crippling me and um, that it was keeping me from being my authentic self around other people and that it really was creating this low-level anxiety um, that had been there all along. But um, but yeah, so in terms of how you might know if you're a perfectionist. I can speak from my own experience and that those yeah. expectations for yourself that are so high, you can never actually meet them. Um, feeling like an imposter, like someone's going to find you out, um, that you're always striving to be more, to do more, to work harder, that sense of hustle and um, never letting down. Um, for me, it showed up in terms of a really loud inner critic that voice that would tell me not what I was doing well or what people loved about me or what value I brought to the world, but the voice that would tell me what I did wrong or where I should be embarrassed or what I needed to do different the next time around. Um, And then even this kind of black and white thinking, this sense of I'm either the best or I'm a failure and no room for gray or humanness. and, and really this pressure, just so much pressure, where my performance in every area of my life, everything was a performance um, or has the potential to be, it, it created this sense of my identity, who I am is reflected in how I perform in my relationship. So my value was really tied to my performance. Mm, those are such good... Uh- like indicators to go, hmm, am, am I doing this? Am I like this? It's interesting to hear you talk because I am 47 mm. and I was in a counseling office this year. And for the first time in my life, I've never heard this before, which I think mm. is funny. Um, she said, you are, you're a high achiever. Like mm. you're, you're always like have in mind how you can achieve, how you can accomplish produce and how do you go 47 years of your life and not realize that so I'm listening to you talk and I'm like check check Uh some of those markers and and Uh I'm thinking like it's interesting to sort of self-evaluate like where do I fall on this list of perfectionism indicators and you talked about some things like doing excellent work you kind of Mm -hmm. always underneath the guise of like, I do excellent work. I care about how I show up in the world, all these Mm -hmm. things. And I think one of the questions I have for you, because when you said all those things, I'm like, but those aren't bad things. Right. Like, how do we hold those values while also not being held back by them? I mean, we want to do excellent work. We want to show up to the world and bring our best self. We want to be hard workers. We want to be successful. How do we hold those values while also not having them destroy us? That is such a great question because you're right. I mean, none of these things have by by themselves, they aren't necessarily indicators of perfectionism. But what Mm -hmm. I will say is that perfectionism can be, is a manifestation of shame. 
And so it's the story underneath the behaviors that really matters. And it's what we're believing about ourselves based on our behavior that matters. And so, um, you know, I'm such a huge fan of Brene Brown and her work and her research on uh, vulnerability and shame. And um, she says that shame is the only emotion that is both universal, everybody has it, everybody experiences shame, and crippling. It's paralyzing. It is so painful that we will do anything we can to avoid it. And shame is the lie that who we are, there's something wrong with who we are at our core. It's not just I did bad or I I didn't quite meet my goals here. It's, oh, there's something wrong with me because I don't have what it takes. I'm not lovable because I wasn't able to do this and this and this. So it really is tied to our value and our identity as opposed to just our performance. Because if I'm healthy, I want to be my best self. I want to do my best on this podcast or in a job or as a parent. I want to have my healthiest body. But it's the, okay, but if my expectations are not met, what does that say about who I am? Mm, That's so good. What do you think made you feel that you needed to be perfect for so many years? Mm, Yeah. You know, it's such an interesting question because we all – we all make our way through the world telling ourselves stories. We make up stories as kids based on what we experience to get a sense of where we fit and how the world works. And, you know, as humans, we still, we do that all our lives. Um, and we put together those stories to the best of our ability, but our, our information is incomplete. So when I was young, I learned quickly, and this is not anyone's fault. It wasn't that anyone did anything wrong. My parents are amazing and wonderful and I was always very well loved, and but we we start to pay attention as kids to what makes us feel good. And I noticed early on that I got attention and affection and validation every time I got good grades, or every time I was well behaved, or every time I did something positive in terms of my performance. And you know, it's interesting. I remember. Um, this moment in second grade, which I have a first grader and a third grader now. So I'm really paying attention to those, those stories they're learning to tell themselves. Um, it was parent teacher conferences. And I remember sitting in my classroom with my teacher, Mrs. Nels and my parents, and we were going through my report card. And in those days they still did letter grades in second grade. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, a, A, A. And, and Mrs. Nels was raving about what a great student I was and how well I was doing. And, and then she flipped it over and there was a B plus. And something in me like panicked. I felt my body, even as a second grader, sort of like, <gasps> what? And it was in handwriting. I still have atrocious handwriting, but I had a B plus. And there was this moment where even as a little seven-year-old, I was aware that I didn't want to feel that way ever again. I didn't know that B plus was not bad. Like it's still a great grade to get in handwriting in second grade. But I made this vow to myself that I will never for the rest of my life in school, I will never get anything but an A again. And I I kept Mm -hmm. it. And so it was like this pressure that I never want to feel less than again. And, And it was because I was getting so much validation for doing such good work in every other area that it, I didn't want anything other than that. Um, mm. 
That's so, so interesting because it's making me think just as a mom, my mom brain, is like, what am I validating right now? Like, you know, my over validating something yeah. that's such, a, such an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. How does living into the pressure of feeling like you need to be perfect, you need to get all A's, you need to look a certain way and be, you know, be this size in jeans and you need yeah. to you know, have this kind of house and you need to have this kind of job and you need to have this many likes on social, like how, how does living into that pressure come out sideways? What are you seeing in the work that you're doing where you're coaching people and you're seeing it come out sideways? Right. Yeah. It is so crippling. It really is. And that's where this idea that perfection, perfectionism, um, is so closely tied to shame. It resonates because the way it comes out sideways is it's armor. It's, it's self-preservation. It's, it comes between us and authentic connection with other people. Um, because what happens is if I feel the pressure to be perfect, then I can't let my guard down and let anyone know I'm anything but. And it's such a facade because obviously we're all human. None of us is perfect. And yet we still want to be. I still want to be. And there's that longing to be the best version of myself that I think is God-given. Like there's this, we're made for perfection, and yet we're living in this broken world where things just aren't the way they're supposed to be. Not yet. And so it it really does, it becomes this barrier between us and other people, um, between us and God, where I feel like I have to constantly strive and earn my standing before him. I have it, and it becomes a barrier to really knowing myself because I spent so many years hustling and striving and working that I never slowed down long enough to really settle into my own soul and ask myself, what do I really want? What, I, what am I actually afraid of? What is there in me for people to love? What are my gifts? What are my dreams? Like what's true about me as opposed to what am I just trying to project? What's the image I'm trying to project for other people to love? Um, I never really slowed down long enough to ask the question, what about me inherently as I am is lovable and desirable and valuable um, to the people around me and to the world? Mm-hmm. You you call yourself a recovering perfectionist, which means you're trying to work yourself into a healthier place than you once were. What made you want to recover from it? Hmm. You know, the strategies that we develop as as young people, as kiddos, um, they work to help us survive and, mm-hmm. and they work until they don't anymore. And for me, that sense of perfectionism, and you know, you could, you could use a lot of different words for that. You could use striving, hustling, high achieving, performing. It worked through college. I mean, it was, I was a stress case. I, um, went to a really, um, I'll say rigorous institution where I just constantly felt less than, like I was pretending, couldn't keep up. Um, And then I went into a job where um, there was a lot of stress. Um, I was a teacher, but I was also the activities coordinator for a large high school. And and the way the job was set up, it just wasn't sustainable. And But I wanted to do more than anyone else could because then I could prove that I had this unique value to contribute to the school. And that was all subconscious. It wasn't like I was, you know, trying to prove myself to the world um, mm-hmm. intentionally, but I was working so, so hard all of the time that I didn't know how to pay attention to my body and I didn't know how to ask for help. And I, 
this high stress job became more and more stressful. And I kept adding things on and added a master's degree and created a couple new programs. And like the pressure was just building and building and building and building until my body said, no more. You can't. And anxiety um, started to affect my body in a way that I had to pay attention to. I wasn't sleeping. I was losing weight. I was, I just felt like I was constantly on this adrenaline rush to get me through. And um and I ended up actually having to take time off of work, which was humiliating for me to say, I can't do this anymore. I need to rest. And so I stepped um, – this was my last year teaching. I stepped out for a couple months and um, allowed my body space to rest, which felt like failure. But again, my body said there was no other option. Yeah. And um, so I gave myself space to rest. And unfortunately, didn't take the whole school year off. There were two months left at the end of the school year. And by the time I went back, my body had slowed down, but my job hadn't changed. And so I went back into this really unhealthy environment, if I'm honest, um, the way I, the job was set up. And I didn't have the energy or the adrenaline anymore to continue pushing. And I felt like the picture I had in my mind was I was a car sitting on the freeway, broken down, and everyone else is like speeding past me and I can't even start my engine. Like I just couldn't keep up anymore. And and that was where depression really um, took over. And I, I spiraled pretty quickly, crawled across the finish line that last year teaching, barely barely finished my master's just as we moved to a new town. And and it, it really was the beginning of a very, very dark season of um, just a mental health crisis, deep, deep depression and, and identity crisis for me, really. Who am I if I cannot perform, if I cannot continue achieving at the level that I expect of myself, then who am I? If this is who I am from now on, I don't, I don't even know where I fit in the world. So it stopped yeah. working and I really had to painfully dive into this idea of perfectionism and, and what's true about me. Mm. I'm just picturing the little girl in you who in second grade decided who she wanted to be. And you decided, I want to be a straight A student. Mm. And here you were, you know, decades later, maybe feeling, and I don't want to put words in your mouth on how you'd grade yourself, but maybe feeling like you're failing. Because um, all of these things were kind of coming out sideways. And mm -hmm. it almost seems like the Lord was giving you an invitation to redecide who you want to be and who he was calling you to be was outside of, uh, grades given to you based on performance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that was a lesson I did not want to learn. It was mm -hmm. excruciatingly painful, um, because I liked being a high achiever. I liked being mm -hmm. respected and seen as competent and necessary and, um, valuable, that I had something to contribute that was needed and appreciated that no one else could do or even was willing to do. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was, it, it truly felt like the person I thought I was, was dying. She died right in front of me. And, and I was feeling the pain of her death um, over several months. Uh, and it, you know, this, the hard thing was that wasn't the first, that was the first, but not the only time that I walked through a similar journey, um, with depression and anxiety. And, 
And so when I say I'm a recovering perfectionist, it, it truly is, you know, I, I wonder if it's going to be a lifelong journey, if I just have to continue coming back to this place of my identity is not my performance. Even this morning, as I shared with you, wrestling with, what if I show up to this podcast and I make a fool of myself? What if I don't know the answer to what Willow asks? And what if people know if I expose myself in front of all these listeners and everyone finally knows what a fraud I am? Like that voice still comes up. And Mm -hmm. so I do think that it's a continual learning and relearning how to be gentle and kind and give myself permission to be human. Mm. I feel like we're almost high achieving people are people who, who tend to be perfectionists. I don't know that I have ever labeled myself as a perfectionist just because I think in my mind, perfectionistic people look perfect and I just look perfect. (laughs) Um, But maybe I am a perfectionist. I don't know. You might be diagnosing me right now, but (laughs) almost like high achieving or perfectionist people are their own worst enemies because I'm listening to your journey and I'm going, yeah, because you want to do excellent work and you want to bring your best to the table and you want to show up and do awesome things. And so you're so good at it that it can become where you have more responsibility, more leadership, more tasks, Mm -hmm. more projects, more people you manage Mm -hmm. because you're actually good at what Mm -hmm. you do while being high achieving. And then it kind of gets to be so much that you kind of crumble and have to figure out like, wow. And I think that's the hardest part is how do you hold, like I said, those values all the time without having these like major breakdowns because your success and your achievements and your beautiful, excellent work got to be too much. Like how, how can we keep ourselves from getting to like, um, a major breakdown mode and instead kind of evaluate on any given day or every week? (laughs) How am Mm -hmm. I doing this? Like, how, how is my desire to achieve and to do amazing things also not going to take me out of the game? Yeah. Oh, it's such a great question. And I certainly don't have the formula, um, but I two things are coming to mind and hopefully they're related. Um, the first thing that I'm learning is to pay attention to my body and to, to notice when my body is telling me, uh, I'm feeling anxious. There's something going on. My chest is tight. My belly has like kind of like butterflies, but they're not fun butterflies. Like I'm excited. It's like that clenched belly. Or um, I shared that I sweat more than anyone I've known. Okay, my, I'm having more pit stains than are is reasonable right now than a normal person should in this situation. Like what's happening in my body? Because our body gives us clues about what it's processing and you know, our brain is just trying to keep us alive. And so if it feels a threat, whether it's a a real physical danger or some sort of an emotional threat to our safety, our emotional safety, um, it gets activated and our body will tell us. Um, And so I think as we learn to pay attention to what our body is telling us, um, it helps us to live in rhythm, in a healthier rhythm. And, um, you know, there's all sorts of self-care practices that we can implement 
to help our bodies to release that stress and to pay attention um, to how much is too much. Um, but then the other piece that I am thinking of as you're talking is um, who are the people in our lives that help us remember how to be human and that we can name out loud our internal process, our internal experience with in safety where I can say, man, Willow, I am just feeling all of this pressure to do all the things. And I don't know where that pressure is coming from, but I'm afraid I don't have what it takes. And I'm feeling overwhelmed, like I can't keep up. Um, and there's so much of that just emotional literacy, I call it, like this emotional awareness of what is happening inside of ourselves, both yeah. physically and emotionally, which our body will help us if we pay attention, um, uh-huh. that is a clue that we need some attention and care and uh, maybe a shift in our behavior. Yeah, those are such good pieces of advice. I I think our body absolutely talks to us, but we have to slow down enough to listen. We live in what some are calling the anxiety culture. We worry as friends, daughters, mothers, and grandmothers. We're getting gray hairs because we're nervous Nellies. We're taking chill pills because we're worried sick. For some of us, one second we can be doing okay, and the next, a Facebook post sends us into anxiousville. But what if there's another way other than worry and anxiety? In our beautifully designed, colorful, 10-part Bible study book, we center around the passage in Matthew 6, 19-34, where Jesus speaks into worry. As you engage scripture, read personal stories, and reflect on questions that invite you to new places, you will be challenged, encouraged, and inspired by this study. We can't wait for you to dive in, so go to wecollide.net slash store to get your copy of The Birds and the Lilies now. You suggest releasing perfect. Mm. How do we do that? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's hard to be human. It is hard, and I I think it takes practice. Um, My theme over the past year and a half, and this this comes from a conversation with my spiritual director, um, where, you know, in the midst of a pandemic, you just, we just have learned that things aren't going to go the way we want them to or expect them to. And, and I was in one of those places, um, last fall feeling just really overwhelmed by all the things I couldn't control and feeling like I couldn't do enough. Um, and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't, I couldn't make myself feel or act the way I wanted to. And she asked me the question, Jillian, what would gentleness toward yourself look like right now? And it like caught me off guard. It like knocked me back in my seat and tears just came to my eyes because I realized I didn't know I was allowed to be gentle with myself. I just had this default setting of, okay, well, if you're feeling like, you know, in this case, this is just one example. um, And I've struggled with body shame and just my relationship with my body my whole life. I was just feeling like, okay, I've been doing all of this comfort eating over the last several months and now my pants don't fit and okay, so I've got to work harder and be more controlled in what I'm putting in my mouth and I've got to work out more. Um, And the reality was I was doing the best I could. I literally was doing what I needed to do to survive and I was still doing as much right as I had the capacity to do. Um, 
But so I just, I teared up and I said, I, I don't know how to be gentle with myself. I need to practice. I need lots of practice. And so when I think about releasing perfect, it's practicing again and again. It's not just release perfect and be done once and for all. It's this continual process of asking myself, what am I expecting here? And what, what do I actually need? And what do I actually have to give to the people around me? Um, because 99.9% of the time, what I expect of myself is not what God expects of me. It might be 100% of the time. I don't know. <laughs> I can't measure that statistic, but my expectations are not usually in my best interest. You write and have a blog and you talk about finding purpose in imperfection. And I'm curious what purpose is to be found there. Mm, I hate it so much. I hate imperfection. <laughs> it is so uncomfortable. And, but truly, I, I mean, that's where we connect with others in our imperfection. It's where we connect with other people and where we connect with God. We can't, we don't need relationships with people or with a divine rescuer if we are in ourselves completely perfect and uh, independent and able to meet all of our own needs. So, yeah, I just, I think it's such a beautiful gift to offer our imperfection to other people. Actually, some of my favorite friends are the ones who, when I come to their house, there's still dishes in the sink and laundry piled on the couch. It makes me love them more when I see- You, you love me then. You oh, love yes. You yes. Best friends if you lived in my town. 100%. Um, dishes on every counter, people. Yes. I mean, we are real people doing the best that we can with what we have. Yeah. And and the people who I can see who are honest and brave enough to let me into the places where they don't have their act together, mm-hmm. those are the people that are the most beautiful to me and that I want to be closest to. And so um, it takes a lot of courage to invite people into our imperfection, to find purpose, to say, okay, this is this is my place of struggle or pain or where I'm not yet what I hope to be. Here's here's what I have to offer you here. Here's my insecurity. Here's my fear. Will you love me anyway? And the answer in 100% of the safe relationships that I've been in where I offer my vulnerability and say, here I am, the answer is always, yes, I will love you. I love you more because you shared with me your imperfection. And the Mm -hmm. same is true for God. Those are the places when I'm able to honestly and humbly name my struggle, my fear, my pain, my sin, the places where I am most desperate for rescue, those are the places that I most authentically and powerfully experience God in my life. Mm, Absolutely. You are a life coach, and I'm kind of curious if you've had coaches in your own life that were really meaningful to you that kind of inspired you to step into this work you're doing. Uh, It makes me teary to think about um, two people come to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had um, so many amazing coaches in my life, so many, especially as an athlete. Um, And when I first started coaching, I was like, coaching, what is that? All I knew was volleyball coaching, and I was a coach for many years, but my college volleyball coach, Dean, um, Dean Snyder, 
he believed in me in a way that I had never experienced. And um, it's funny because this recognition um, of the unhealth of perfectionism started with him, where on the volleyball court, I put so much pressure on myself. And, um, you know, I was a four-year starter and um, (laughs) my husband's like, make sure you mention that you're in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) Like I I had success um, in college. Mm -hmm. And and so I had all this pressure that I would I constantly put on myself that if I made a mistake, if I shanked a ball or if I missed a serve or whatever it was, I would just get in, stuck in my own head and it would cripple me. Um, and so Dean would always say, he'd come up to me and say, Jillian, you know, it sucks to be human, but here we are. <laughs> and it became this joke that it's okay to make mistakes as part of the journey. And, and now I tell my kids, mistakes are how we learn. We don't grow unless we are brave enough to make mistakes. And, and so Dean was huge for me in that and just give me a place to, mm-hmm. to make mistakes and still belong. Um, and then when I first heard about life coaching, again, I was like, what is this thing? It's kind of foofy sounding. Like, is it real? Um, it was actually a, a mentor of mine had offered to pay for me to be coached for a year. She saw something in me and wanted me to experience coaching. And so I start first had conversations with my coach, Ron. Um, I can't remember how many years ago it was now, maybe five or six years ago. And little kids, I was a full-time stay-at-home mom and really felt like a fake, like, oh, I feel like I'm stealing the, your time away from someone who really deserves it and needs it. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. And I didn't see myself as someone worthy of his time or um, as someone who had gifts to contribute to the world that mattered. Because remember, I'd lost my identity when I stopped working. I, I had that kind of mental health breakdown and then mm-hmm. recovered just in time to have babies. And so I was a full-time stay-at-home mom and um, not doing anything significant you know, in my eyes, um, although I fully believed and had to verbalize often that my work as a mom was the most important thing I could do. My kids pouring into them is my most important important contribution to the world. I fully believe that still. But there was something in me that just ached mm-hmm. to use my gifts and passion and energy outside of the walls of my home. And um, yeah, I felt unqualified. And so my conversations with Ron opened up my perspective to consider that maybe God had different plans for me than I had for myself. Maybe he saw me in a way that I couldn't see myself. And we do. We really form our identity based on the feedback we get from other people, and for better or worse, and explicit feedback or implicit feedback. And so getting regular feedback from Ron about what gifts he heard in me, the passion that he heard in me, Um, And even having a space just to name my current reality, this is where I am, this is where I'm struggling, Um, to even wrestle with what are my longings? What is is the thing inside me that is just burning to come out? Um, Having that space, it shifted everything for me and how I saw myself. Hmm. What a gift to have those kind of coaches coming alongside you in life. I know that I've had those as well. And it's not only character shaping, it's yeah. trajectory shaping. And 
And now you're that gift in other people's lives. And I'm just curious if there are a few moments that you've experienced that you want to share of breakthrough that you've had with women when you were coaching them. Hmm. Man, it's such a privilege. Every once in a while, I think, wait, are they paying me for this? It feels unfair <laughs> <laughs> that I, I get the privilege of walking with women and just being a safe space for them um, to say all the out loud words um, and to give them a space just to process the things that are rolling around inside often in isolation. And, you know, one example that comes to mind is just this last February, I think it was, um, during COVID and we're all isolated and struggling. And um, I decided to try something new. And usually I do individual coaching. Most of it's over the phone, one-on-one. And um, I decided I just want to try some sort of a group coaching cohort. So I threw this thing out on social media, um, inviting women to redefine thriving and to stop surviving. Let's get out of survival mode. We're just barely hanging on. I felt like I was barely hanging on and I needed a space to be intentional about what I actually wanted my life to look like, to stop waiting for life to change on the outside and to start now making the most of the life I have in front of me today. And so I invited this group of women and and we just met on Zoom. It's so you know messy and imperfect and not ideal, but it was what we had. And um, just to hear them in a handful of sessions say, it is so reassuring to know I'm not the only one struggling. It's so helpful to have a space where I can even ask myself the question, what would thriving look like? Because so much of the time we're just trying to get through our dates and especially during a pandemic, we're just trying to get through without anyone getting hurt sometimes in my experience. Um, Or we're just trying to get through to the other side so that we can have the freedom to operate the way we always have. And and to have a space where we just had conversations about what what would thriving look like? What how am I def- what am I expecting of myself right now? What's keeping me from the life that I long for? What do I actually have control over? What do I need to let go of? What support do I need to ask for? To have those conversations with other women um, was really powerful. And these were strangers. These women didn't know each other. And so just to see that shared humanity and that shared experience and the power of naming out loud our experience in the presence of safe others, um, it was really beautiful. Mm, I love that you are providing that for women. That's awesome. We we talk a lot at Collide, and, and I think I saw on your blog that you talk about this too. We've done an event on it, Getting Unstuck. I think we have a free download somewhere on our website that people can um, download that kind of helps them evaluate 10 things that often keep us stuck because part of Getting Unstuck is evaluating why you're there. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing in the women that you're working with, that's often causing them to get stuck in their life where they're not thriving. Instead, they're just kind of, they're they're surviving. They're stuck in this place. They don't want to be, they want to move what they feel like they can't get out of it. It's such a great, great question. And you do have downloaded the, how to get unstuck resource you have. I also have a, how to get unstuck resource on my website. So I love that question because we all get stuck. We all get stuck 
And we need help getting unstuck. We're not meant to thrive alone. It's, I don't know if it's possible. I don't think it's possible to thrive in isolation. We're not made for it. We're designed for community. And so I think that's one of the biggest things is isolation keeps women stuck. Um, and not even isolation. Like we may have people in our life that we know and love, but the lack of intentional community where, again, we can be safe, where we feel known, where we reveal those imperfections, where we let down our guard and show up vulnerably and bravely as we truly are, where we can say, I'm feeling stuck here and I don't know what to do about it. Um, There's such power in naming that. And so I think not having a space to name, to say out loud, Mm -hmm. this is where I'm stuck and this is, and I don't even know why, and I need help to get out of it. And that's one of the biggest obstacles. And so finding that community, creating that community, if we don't already have it, is a huge way to start movement um, toward getting unstuck. And I think part of it too, why those resources are so helpful is we often get stuck because we don't know what it would look like to get to be unstuck. Like we don't even have a vision mm-hmm. for how life could look different. Mm-hmm. And so we just it takes time to process and to reflect on, okay, what is this is what I do in coaching. Like what's what's your current reality? And we take a lot of time to really name and articulate and identify what are all the components that are shaping your life today, right now. What's working and what's not. And so it takes time and space to do that work. And and some people can do it by themselves, but most of us need, like I said, we need support. We need a coach. We need a really good listener of a friend, or we need um, some other help professional or just, like I said, that intentional space where we can have those conversations um, to really think about what our current reality is. And then as a coach, again, my goal is to say, this is your current reality this is your desired outcome. This is where you want to go. This is the life you want to have. What's it going to take to get you from here to there? Um, And so a lot of that also comes down to having a plan. So if we know where we are and where we want to go, then we can create a plan to get there, but we can't get unstuck unless we actually recognize that we are stuck in the first place. Absolutely. I love that question. What's it going to take to get you from here to there? Mm -hmm. Feels like a simple question with such important answers that need to be voiced for all of us. It's so good. You know, a lot of times in Christian circles, people are starving for perfection, for God's love, for other people's acceptance. How do you see Jesus inviting us into something other than this kind of striving? He is the answer to perfectionism. Um, I think of Second Corinthians 12, nine is like one of those verses that I just, I cringe, but I also, it's freedom for me where Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And this idea that it's actually in my weakness, in my imperfection, in the places of struggle and insecurity and fear and pain, those are the places God's power shows up perfectly. So I don't have to be perfect because that's where he's perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I just, I think of that invitation too, when I am stuck in that cycle of striving and working harder and harder and performing um, and becoming disconnected from myself and my, my body and what I need. 
I think of the invitation that Jesus offers to come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And this wow. invitation to rest, and for me, as in my journey with perfectionism, rest felt like laziness. It felt like failure. It felt like giving up. It felt like a character flaw to stop. And so I think in my journey, a lot of what God has turned upside down for me is this picture of rest as necessary, as a place where I meet with him and experience him, where I learn to rest in his love for me, that sense of abiding and being still and knowing that he's God and allowing him to love me just as I am, um, not as I wish I could be or think I should be. Um, so that invitation just to come and be still and be loved. Mm. I love that advice. And I love that Jesus is the very best coach. Look at him. He comes alongside you as a coach mm. to other coaches you. And now you're coaching us. Yeah. So beautiful. Jillian, I know there's so much we could talk about. So we'll have to have you back on the podcast. <laughs> but for those that want to check out the resources you have, your blog, your coaching work, how can they connect with you? Yeah. My website is probably the easiest place for people to find me. It's just www.jilliandebritz.com, all one word. Um, I'm also on Instagram, um, just jilliandebritz. So yeah, I would love it if they reached out. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for hanging out. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Hey, keep rocking that Macamore and, you know, having, <laughs> you know, it. you know, it. you eating chocolate while running outside, you know, that's, you know, I want to see that. It's so <laughs> non-perfectionist. That's right. Well, for those of you listening, I'm so glad that you hopped on and got to hang out with Jillian today. I hope that you will know that you are deeply loved this week. You don't have to strive to be loved. You already are loved. There's nothing you can do to be more loved. There's nothing you will do to be less loved. God just loves you so much. Keep colliding, friend. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for tuning in. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram at we.collide, on Facebook as at WeCollideWomen, and you can also visit our website at WeCollide.net to find our blog, resources, event information, and more. One last thing, if you enjoyed this episode, would you take a few seconds and leave us a review? It seems like such a small act, but reviews help us to keep producing this content and help other women find it too. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode and letting us walk with you as you seek and collide with Jesus.